And uh, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. Grab your Bibles, turn your Bible on. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. My name is John Chastain, and uh, I serve as one of the pastors here. And it's my joy to bring and open God's Word to you today. Today, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, we are going to hear the words of Christ speak to us about the topic of worry and anxiety. So as you're turning there, I want you to reflect on a question with me. What are the top five things that you're worrying about right now? And when I ask that, I'm speaking to the elementary kids that are still in here with us, to the more seasoned that are here with us. Because all of us worry. You think of of young students. What am I going to wear today? Will anybody notice what I wear? Will I get any compliments for what I wear? Did I study enough for that exam that I've got this week? Will anybody sit with me at lunch? Will I make National Junior Honor Society? No, will I be a junior marshal no, I want to go to college one day. Will I, have a, will I have good enough grades to get in the school that I want to go to? Okay, how am I going to pay for college? I could go on and on. Our college students here, there is plenty of opportunities for worry. You're sitting here and you're thinking, when am I going to get a full night's rest? There's no way I meet that deadline this week. I desire... To get married one day, will God provide a spouse? I'm getting close to graduation. Where am I going to live? Where am I going to work? Will I get a job? Graduation happens. You get that job. You find a place to live. Our young professionals here, you've got plenty to worry about. Hey, hey, help. My roommates just moved out. I don't know where, what I'm going to do this fall. I really want to get married. God, God, do you hear my prayers? Will you provide? What am I going to buy for that upcoming white elephant party gift that's coming up? We worry about small things and we worry about big things. And then you get married and, and there's just more things to worry about. Like, Lord, we really want to have kids. Why is it taking this long? The fridge just broke. My car just died. Hey, I think I'm about to get laid off. And then you have kids and you just start worrying about all the things that everything you just went through that they are going to walk through. My more seasoned couples. When will I retire? Will I be able to retire? I I see the health of, of some of my friends going downhill. I just heard that someone got cancer. Is is that the path that I'm going to walk? Anybody starting to worry right now with me? We all have opportunities to worry. 
including myself. Lee and I, Lord willing, the second week of January, are going to take our family to China to adopt Callan. I think I got a picture here. Do we got that picture? Some of you guys have, have seen this. We've been in this journey for a number of months, and, and we're really on, on the back end. And so as we sense the Lord leading us to adopt again, there were all kind of worries, even with that decision. And then now that we know Callan and the girl that we're going to adopt, we're about to take our, all of our family to China. We, we've never met her face to face. She's never met us. There are endless opportunities that, that could keep Lee and I awake at night. We don't know the details of the past six and a half years of her life. I stand here and I open God's word to you today as one who needs to hear what Jesus says about anxiety and worry, okay? And we all need this. And, uh, and so here's what I want us to do today. I, I want you to see this text matters. We, I want us to just, God, would, would you, let's just pray. God, as, as I just reeled off a list and I could have kept going, God, maybe even for some of us, our hearts are starting to race. Our minds are starting to wander. Father, would you speak? To, we need to hear you today. God, we need your Spirit's Word to open our eyes. We need you to, to help us take our eyes off all of the worries and distractions. We need to see you today. God, we want to see you crush worry in our lives. So God, as we read and open your Word, God, speak to our ears and our hearts and help us to respond, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. As we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we've seen Jesus talk about this new normal of how we're to live. He's addressed many topics, from anger to lust to marriage and divorce to the truthfulness and faithfulness of your words to fasting and praying and what we do with our money. In fact, the text we looked at a few weeks ago, look here, Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, Jesus, I hear you. Like, I'm trying to respond to this word, and, and I'm trying to seek and store up treasures in heaven, but, but maybe you've got a question like, like, Jesus, like, what about my daily bread? Like, wh- I want to store up treasures in heaven, but... I need clothes to wear. I need something to drink. I need food to eat. How am I to think about these things? And so that's why we have this passage here. Just flowing from the Sermon on the Mount to help us think rightly about the many necessities in life in light of this new normal and how we live in the kingdom of God. So let's look here, and I'm going to read, and we're going to look today at verses 25 through 34 in Matthew 6. The Word of God says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Here's the point of of the text and and our sermon today that I want you to hear. And it's this. Crush worry through an abiding faith in God's promises and a relentless pursuit of his kingdom. Repeat that again. Crush worry through an abiding faith in God's promises and a relentless pursuit of his kingdom. What you see here and what we see in the text, you see the negative and the positive. Negatively, Jesus says multiple times, do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. Crush worry and anxiety. Those are the things that we're going to put off. We're going to renew our minds to think rightly about this world and who God is. And then we're going to put on, it's not just don't do this, refrain from this. It's pursue something greater. So we're going to, we're not, we're going to put off worry and we're going to chase after seeking the kingdom of God. A relentless pursuit of God's kingdom. And, and this is how we're going to spend our time today. We're just going to break those into two pursuits, and we're going to start with the first one right now. So the, the first truth is that I'm going to flesh out for us is, is what does it look like to crush worry with abiding faith in the promises of God? Now, before we jump in here, I want us to think about this word worry and what Jesus doesn't mean. Jesus doesn't mean, when we hear, do not be anxious, do not worry, he, he's not advocating for carelessness, apathy, or laziness. And we're going to see that later on in the text. So when he says, do not be anxious, doesn't mean like you can just like, I, you're just letting go and, and you don't have any responsibility in this. There are certain things that we should be concerned about. In fact, if you're not concerned, and I'm using that word concern versus worry, like, Like, you would be irresponsible if you weren't concerned, God, would you make my life matter for your glory? Like, that ought to concern, we ought to wrestle with that. But what Jesus is talking here when he's talking about worry is what David Pallison in his book, Seeing With New Eyes, he says, he calls it anxious greed. And he gives this definition of anxious greed. He says, 
I want something I might not get, so I worry. I want something I might not get, so I worry. And there's, there's two things that I want to highlight here. One, as we look at this definition here, is it concerns the uncertainty of life. When we look at the text, he says, they're asking, like, Jesus says, should you worry about your clothing, your food, what you should drink? These are, he's looking in the future, like, these are uncertainties. So one is like, as you think about the worry in your life, the anxious greed, the things you want that you might not get, a lot of those are things that are out in the horizon, the uncertainties that you're about to face. They may, may be uncertainties today. They may be uncertainties this week. They may be uncertainties in the next year or two. But the other, other side that I want you to see here is it also relates to things you can't control. David Pallison says this, central to worry is the illusion that we can control things. Anxiety and control are two sides of the same coin. When we can't control something, we worry. You guys with me? So like, I want something I might not get. I feel out of control. The way I'm going to get in control is I'm just going to worry about it. And we think that worrying gives us control. Now, when I think of this word control, I also want you to think about this word kingdom. Because we've been hearing this word kingdom all through the Sermon on the Mount. And later on, we're going to look at this, Matthew 6, 23. Seek first the kingdom of God. Related to worry is who is ruling and reigning as king in your life. Because when we say, I want control, in a lot of ways we're saying, I want to be king. But the reality is, is you'll never be king. And, and secondly, you, you don't have the power, even if you were in control, you don't have the power to go get the things that you want that you think are going to make you happy in life. And that's why we need God to be our king. So, so here... Some things are certain. What Jesus is going to tell us in this text, in light of your worry and anxiety and, and lack of control, some things are certain and someone is in control. And so here's what I want to do, because this is what the text does. Jesus gives us six worry-crushing promises to believe. And I'm just going to, I'm going to call us, as we hear these, to believe, to crush worry by believing these promises. And the first one is this. Crush worry by believing that God gives you ultimate purpose and life. Look at verse 25 here. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, your body, what you will put on. And he asked this question, and we see a series of questions that Jesus doesn't necessarily answer until later on. But we know the answer when he asks it. Here's the question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What's the answer? Yeah, all right, let me ask you again. What's the answer? Yes! Matthew, he's going to say later, seek first the kingdom of God. There are, there are much greater things to spend your life on worrying about than what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, and what you're going to drink. You were created to make much 
to live for the glory of God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We were all created, uh, an illustration that helps me is we were created as a telescope so that people, as, as they see our lives, they had to look through and see the greatness of who God is. Our lives are the telescope, the glory of God. God gives you ultimate purpose in life. Here's what I want you to do. Your worry list, your top five, the top five things you're worrying about, I want you to do this. Go one by one, and Jesus promises blank. Your life is more than, and you fill in the blank. Your life is more than clothes. Your life is more than food. Your life is more than drink. Do you need those things? Are they important? Yes, but your life is more than that. Let me ask you this. As you look at your worry list, what does that reveal that your life is pursuing? Because oftentimes the things we worry about are really the things that are driving us. God gives you ultimate purpose in life. The second worry crushing promise to believe is this, God values you greatly. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. Let me just hit pause here. Oftentimes what we need to do in the middle of our worry is get our stinking eyes off of ourselves. Look up. Like, get some perspective. You, you, you're so focused on your life that if you were to just step back and Jesus says, look at the world. He says, look at creation. We see God's providential care in creation. Look at, he says this, look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? Man, there's some good stuff here. So here's what, let's jump in here. What we see here is that God is so sovereign of the universe that even the feeding of the birds falls within his concerns. Who feeds the birds? God does. Now let me ask you this. Does a bird just sit on a branch with its beak open waiting for God to like drop food in the beak? No, what's a bird do? A, a bird, like they're working. They're, they're searching. So again, like Jesus isn't saying like apathy or carelessness. Like a bird is, is searching, but ultimately God is the one who's providing. They provide, he provides for these birds as they go through your crops um, and your garbage or, or however. Like in a lot of mysterious ways, God is providing for the birds of the air. But here's some significant points that Jesus wants us to see. The first one is this. Birds don't have refrigerators. You see that? They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Like, you're going to go home today, and most likely you go to the grocery store, you keep it in the fridge, and like you can provide for the week or the pantry. Birds don't have that. So th there's this picture of a daily, constant need for provision. They need to be provided for in a very daily manner. And look at what the text says. It says, yet your, notice the focus. 
Who's Heavenly Father? Your Heavenly Father feeds them. If we were to go back and and read through Genesis, what would Genesis teach us about the animals and about humans? We would see that humans are created in the image of God in, in a different way than the animals. So, like, when he's saying you are of more value than they, like, the, the image of God, the Imago Dei, like, we see that imprint on humans that the animals don't. The, the animals, and in, in they display the glory of God, but not in the capacity and way that we as humans can. And he says, are you not of more value than they? He's using an argument here from the lesser To the greater. If God provides for the birds of the air, what's Jesus saying? Surely, if you look to him, he will provide for you as well. You are valued greatly. And let me just hit pause here for a second. As Jesus is giving these promises to his disciples, Let's just pause here on this word, your heavenly father. I don't want to assume today that everyone sitting here would say, you know what? I understand, like in one sense, like God, God has created this world and God cares for the good and the evil. We see that. That's just God's like, God's sovereign care. We, we see his, his common goodness displayed, his common grace in that all of us, but But in a very special sense, like when you become a child of God, here's how Paul argues in Romans. He says, God who did not spare and give his own son, will he not with him graciously give you all things? And you see here that that the very God who sent his son, John 3, 16, for God who loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Like that is the, when we see the gospel and what God's done in Christ, it gives us confidence. If he met our greatest need, forgiveness of sin and eternal life, surely he's going to meet every other need that follows from that. So let me just ask you, like, have you come to understand what it means to become a child of God? The Bible tells us this, that all of sin and fall short of his glory. Like, like we are all set, like God created us in his image and that image is distorted as of sin. This sin separates us from God. And, and God sent Christ who lived a perfect life, his, his one and only son, and he laid down his life. I mean, the whole purpose of Christmas here is we're seeing the love of God, his pursuit to send Jesus to save sinners. And, and the offer of the gospel is this, if you'll confess your sin, And if you'll turn and believe in Jesus, you'll receive forgiveness. You'll you'll receive eternal life. And the scriptures say this, you become a child of the king so that you can cry out, heavenly father. I would plead with you today, like maybe you've been with us and you're just wrestling through like this whole Christianity thing or Jesus, like God's inviting you and you can respond in faith today and become his child. Do that. Confess your sin, crowd to him, and believe right now in Jesus, in his provision. 
He's a good father and he values you greatly. The third one is this. Look at verse 27. In verse 27, it says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The truth that I want you to see here is that God ultimately controls the length of your life. You may see a footnote on verse 27, um, a little footnote at the end that goes down to the bottom, and you'll see it says, Or a single cubit to a stature. And a cubit was about 18 inches. There's some, like, what does Jesus mean here? Um, Like, he, what he's arguing, like, can you add 18 inches, like, to your height? Like, no, I, I can't do that. I'd love to, you know. I'd love to add 18 inches, and, but I can't. Um, but most likely, like, some, some are saying that what he's describing here is, is, like, this a span of life, like, akin to, like, your birth. Like, can I add birthdays to my life? Like, there's, uh, through worrying, can I make my life longer? I can't. And so that's why most translations say something like, can you add a single hour to your span of life? Can you add birthdays? Here's the irony. Not only does worry not add time, it actually shortens your life. You know, for some that are so overcome by worry, like they're so they're very real, like physical effects of sickness that are a result of not walking in faith and trust in the Lord. So Jesus is saying, look, you, you can't, one, like, it, it's an illusion. You can't, contr- you think through worrying you can control your life. You can't. But second, like, you're not going to maximize your life. You, you're actually going to shorten it. So you, you look to God who controls the length of your life. Number four, and I'm going to have to explain this one a little, but the fourth one is this, God will make you dazzle. Yes, I said dazzle. God will make you dazzle. Look at verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, and why are you anxious about clothing? And again, he says, lift up your eyes. Like, look around. Get your eyes off of yourself. Consider the lilies. Or you may just be referring here to just the wild flowers in the field. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If you were to go to the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles 9, you would see it says this, King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. So like he's holding up Solomon, which they would have known clearly King Solomon, the riches and wisdom there. He says, look, Solomon wasn't clothed the way the lilies of the field have be clothed. And he says, and they neither toil nor spin. So what's his conclusion? In verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The picture here is different than when he says, look at the birds. His point here, when you looked at the birds, the point there was the birds work, but they don't worry. Here the point is, the flowers don't toil or spin. And and so it's not that the disciples should be lazy, but D.A. Carson in his commentary says this, God's providence and care are so rich 
that he clothes the grass with wild flowers that are neither productive nor enduring. They don't toil or spin. And he says, look, and they're just, they're, they're going to disappear. They're going to be thrown into the oven. But we look at our lives and what God's created us for. And he says, you, you're on, if God does this for the lilies, would you crush worry and believe that I will so care and provide for you? I've got a quote that I want to share with you from David Pallison. It's a book, uh, he's the one we got this ancient, anxious greed definition from. And, and here's how he describes what Jesus is doing here. Check out this quote. I got on the screen for you. It says this, the promise is far more than God will take care of you. This is, God will clothe you in nothing less than his radiant glory. So why do you worry about clothes you wear? I'll dress you in my own glory. Why do you worry about your health? I'll raise you from the dead to eternal life. Why do you worry about a few dollars? I'll give you the whole earth as your inheritance. Why do you worry when someone doesn't like you? I'll make you live in the kingdom of my love. God is giving you a life that is radiant, indestructible, and full of glory. You will dazzle. There you go. There's my word. If God did us, did all of this for the flowers of the field, how much more will he for you? Now, you know what? Just reflecting on that quote there, David Pallison helps us see a few things. We oftentimes want God to answer our prayers when? Now. And, and we should ask boldly. I mean, this is how Jesus prays. Father, if it be like, take this cup from me. You look to him in the garden. If there's any way, nevertheless, not my will be done, your will be done. We ask boldly and we surrender completely. And so we should continue to pray, God, your kingdom, why not now? Like, come. But yet, we shouldn't confuse lack of provision now with God not being a good father and providing for us. Because we do know death isn't the end of the story. Amen? That is the hope of the gospel. I'm not going to end up in the grave. The resurrection of Christ gives me hope that I will be raised and be with him forever. And we have the hope of a new heaven and a new earth where there will be where sin. It says there will be no more sin, no more pain, no more suffering. I know whether God answers it now that he will answer it one day. And that's the confidence we have here when we seek the kingdom. We should pray, God, why not now? Show your power and your glory. But the reality is, is you know what? Unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die. Right? So like, I'm praying, like, God, continue to give healing and provision, but we're all physically heading towards the grave. Our hope is in the new heavens, the new earth, the, the, the restoration that is to come. God will be faithful. There is no doubt in my mind that God will provide. Now look at this comment that he says here. At the very end of verse 30, he says, Oh, you of little faith. Doesn't that give us a window into our worry? When you look at your list of worry, 
let me just ask you this. What is it that you don't believe about God? What is it that you don't believe? Either it's like, what is your life about? Maybe it reveals that you're just chasing things that you don't need to be chasing. But what does your worry worry list reveal about your lack of faith and trust in the provision of God? The fifth one is this. God knows exactly what you need. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Will you believe that today? Like, God is completely aware. He sees. He knows your needs and your provision. But again, who does he point us to? He's, he's, we've looked at creation. Now he says, look at the Gentiles. The Gentiles, basically, you've got Jew. In the Bible, you got Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles would have been those who do not have a relationship with God. And so, like, what is the pursuit? What describes their life? Look, look at what he says here. In verse 32, the Gentiles seek after these things. What he's describing here is when you look at those who don't know Christ, what is it that they consume their life with? It's the material here and now. Food. Clothing, drink, materialism. There's not a pursuit of storing up treasures in heaven. It's all the here and now. They seek after. They preoccupy. That is their pursuit in life. Not so those who follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we are, we'll get to in a second, to seek the kingdom. And as we do that, we trust that God knows exactly what I need. Let's jump down to verse 34. And the last one I want you to see is that God provides new grace for each day. In verse 34, Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What he does here is he appeals to common sense. He basically says, why are you worrying about tomorrow? you got a lot to worry about today. (laughs) But implicitly, here's what he's saying. Why waste energy on something that may never come? Or as D.A. Carson notes, tomorrow's feared misfortunes may never happen. So what you're doing is you're consuming your life today with things that may never even be reality. And implicitly he's saying, let's say tomorrow does bring new trouble. What's he saying? God will provide new grace for that trouble. And so what we need to do as we follow Jesus and walk in faith is really believe, you know what? It's, It's to pray the, The the prayer that Jesus says, Father, give me this day my daily bread, and I'm going to trust that for tomorrow, you are going to grant me grace to walk through that challenge. But for today, I'm going to walk in faith and trust. And for that worry down the road, God, you're a good God. You're providing my daily needs. You will provide and meet that need. So as you think about your worry, I want to just give you just a tangible, practical way to 
Because oftentimes, you know what? Worry can just consume us and it can overwhelm us. So I want to give you five things real quick as practical things as you think about crushing worry. The first one is this. I want you to name the pressures. I want you to write them down one by one. This is very helpful. If you come to me and you're like, John, I am just, I am consumed with worry and overwhelm. Let's pull a sheet of paper or let's throw a post-it up here and I'll write everything up there. And here's why this is helpful. Oftentimes we feel like it's a million things. But in reality, usually it's just a few things, but a few things can really feel like a lot. Writing them down helps us to gain perspective. Second, identify how you express anxiety. It's good for you to know when you feel overwhelmed, where are, how do you, what does that flesh itself, what does it typically look like in your life? Is it the feeling of panic, obsessive thoughts, anger, a headache, downing a quart of ice cream? an overpowering desire for a strong drink. You name it. Like what, are your te- like, what are you running to? Third, ask yourself, why am I anxious? This is starting to dip below the surface. Beyond, okay, I'm anxious. These are the things, but like, why? And, and he, let me just help, as you di- self-diagnose, let me give you a few questions. Have I forgotten God? Who or what is, is, is ruling in my life right now? What do I want, need, crave, expect, demand, and lust after? What am, that, that anxious greed. What do I think I need that I might not get? What do I think I want that I might not get? What is that? What do you fear either losing or never getting? Answer that question, why am I anxious? Fourth, remember and believe God's promises. Here's how we fight worry. We fight it with truth. We fight it with the, we crush it with faith. Oh, you of little faith. We crush it with the word of God, the belief and the promises of God. Which of these promises do you need to just write down on a note card that you just need to memorize so that if you will believe in that moment, it's going to crush this worry in your life? And then fifth, go to your heavenly Father in prayer. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4. He says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. What are we to do when we're anxious? We're ultimately to cry out to God in prayer. This is the same thing that that Peter says in 1 Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You see belief in here. What leads me to throw this worry on God? One is he cares about me. He wants me to. And second is he is king. He can do something about the worries in my life. Before we look at this last part on seeking the kingdom, maybe I'll make this 5B, the, the la- another bullet that I didn't add, but it would be this. What helps me in times of worry is to reflect and remember where I've seen the provision of God in my life. As I'm about to step into, 
God, there's a ton of opportunities for worry right here. I look back and say, God, here are all the ways. Here are the very hard things I've been through, and this is how you've provided. If you've provided in the past, I'm confident that you'll provide in the future. So this is why, like, journal. Write down what God's doing, because then you can flip back and you can see. And then that can be fuel to move you forward in worship and trust and faith. So we've got to put off worry, crush worry. Now let's just briefly look at 633, and we'll wrap up. 633 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Crush worry with a relentless pursuit of God's kingdom. And this is just connecting the dots here. Life is more than food, drink, and clothing. Our life is about seeking first the kingdom of God. And, and this is important, guys, because we can't, you can't just think about putting off worry. If your focus is just on putting off worry, you're not going to be very successful because you can't just refrain from something. You've got to replace it with something. And so he's saying here, instead of worrying, seek, seek first the kingdom. And, and, and these two words, seek first. It's tempting for us to turn like our pursuit of God into a checkbox where like first is like seek first the kingdom and then we write like everything else below it. But really what's happening here is it's describing not just like seek first, but seek preeminently above all things and let it impact everything you do in life. It's a seeking that affects your second, third, fourth, fifth bullet points as well. So it's seek first the kingdom of God, and then it's seek God in how I love my wife. And it's seek God in how I do my job. And it's seek God, and you keep going down the list. It's something that shapes all that we do in life. And here's the wild but really cool part. When we seek the kingdom, oftentimes God calls us to do things that could tempt us to worry. <laughs> I mean, why are Lee and I about to step into this adoption? It would be much easier. Like, we could remove worry in our life and have, be very comfortable. Like, we're, we're, but no, like, God, our lives are yours. What are we to do? This is what I want you to do. God, you know that that's also going to give a ton of opportunity for worry. Yes, I know that. But the cool thing is, is when Jesus is reigning supreme and he is king, we can even enjoy some wild and crazy things because we know he's reigning. You guys with me on this? So I'm not saying to seek the kingdom there's, it's going to minimize worry. The reality is, is God's going to call you to do some things that really could lead you to worry. But he wouldn't call you to do it if he also did, wasn't saying, I'm going to provide, and I'm going to care, and I'm going to answer your prayer, and I'm going to show myself in a very powerful way as you walk in faith. John Piper says this. Let me jump ahead here. Man, this is good. He says, living this way is a thrilling way to live. It's full of freedom, peace, and joy, and adventure, and hardship, and it's worth it all. So I'm pleading with you today, seek the kingdom. It's thrilling. You know what? It's full of freedom and joy and opportunity for more worry. But our God 
is good and powerful and strong. Where is it today that God just wants to crush worry in your life? Here's what I want to do. I want to invite our band up here. And I want to invite, I've invited our prayer team. I've got some, some friends that are, that are going to come down and be down front to pray. And, and here's, what I, here's what I like, as they're coming up, guys, stay focused here with me. They're, they're going to get ready. Here's what, here are the two questions I want you to wrestle with. One is, what are the worries that God wants to crush in your life? But let me ask you to wrestle with a second question. Where is God calling you to seek the kingdom? It may be today as you're saying, man, I want to seek the kingdom. I want to make it preeminent. And I really sense God's leading me to do this. And it's the reason I'm not doing it is because I'm worried. I've invited my prayer team down and just to say, you know, as the band sings, for you guys just to come in and maybe you want to pray with somebody. Maybe it's like, you know what, I need somebody to pray with me. I just want to share this. I just need the list. I'm feeling overwhelmed today, and I just need to verbally say these are the things. And maybe it's just to come down and say, would you pray for me? So let me pray for us. And then um, as the Spirit leads, let's, let's seek the kingdom. And may God just radically shape us for his glory. Father, God, we thank you for these words you've given to us in Matthew 6. God, oh, of little faith. God, we often struggle and lack faith to walk in your purposes for us. But God, we just cry out to you today. God, we want to see worry crushed. We want to live in freedom and peace and joy, and we want, we want this thrilling way of where we really know we're seeking the kingdom, and you're calling us to do hard things, and yet you're also a gracious God who's providing. So God, show yourself powerful. Help us to believe these promises that we're valued, that you know what we need, that you will provide, that you give us ultimate fulfillment in life and purpose in life. God, shape us for your king, kingdom and glory's sake, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.